0: Over to you. There we go. Hi, thanks very much, Claire. I'm John Mack Green uh, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi y'all, it's good to be here this afternoon here just outside of Nashville. And to be with y'all, my friends across the pond in the evening, um, my friends down in Florida, uh, some friends in California, I'm grateful to be here without a drink and without a desire for drink, and for that, um, you know, it's, it's, as I would say, a flat ass miracle. Um, It's good to be here. Uh, I appreciate my friend Pax asking me to speak and uh, I'd impose upon either Claire or um, Pax, please, to kind of be a timer for me and give me a heads up when uh, I've gone on too long, say in about five minutes or so, and then we can pass it on. Um, the topic that I have selected today, if you had seen the flyer that was artfully done and went around, was causes and conditions. And that will make some sense, I hope, in a few minutes. Um, If you've got a big book handy, and if you've got a 12 and 12 handy, I would encourage you to uh, have them at hand because I'll be referring to them. You know, it's often said that Maybe a lot of ways to get sober. You might be able to throw down a few bites of chocolate and throw up a few Hail Marys, I've heard. And if that works for you, that's great. You know, maybe even L. Ron Hubbard and Dianetics. I tried all of that stuff Um, more acid, less acid. Uh, None of that that stuff worked for me. But what, what did and does continue to work is the program of Alcoholics Anonymous in the first 164 pages of the big book called Alcoholics Anonymous and 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, our companion book. My first grand sponsor would have said, you know, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous should be treated like a textbook, meaning that you refer to it often, memorize parts of it if helpful. It's not a novel, Um, though a novel might be of such quality you refer to it often and read it more than once, but it's not the way in which I choose to treat the textbook of Alcoholics Anonymous. A little bit of biographical information. Um, I My sobriety date is September 19 in the year 2000, which means that in the year 2020, I turned 20. Now, uh, as my sponsor would say, though he'd probably deny it, and he's in this meeting, so if he wants to deny it, he can. As he said, you know, John Mack, 20 years is a long time without a drink, and it is, and it's a remarkable accomplishment, but I'm not sure how sober you've been for those 20 years. Much improved, but I don't know how sober you've been. Now, I'll tell you what I take from that, and it's meaningful for me. As it says on page 64 of our big book, our liquor was but a symptom. We must get down to causes and conditions. And that's what I'd like to speak about today with my experience, hopefully sharing some strength in this and some hope. You know, as has been said, in fact, I think the first person that I heard say it was my sponsor, despite having grown up here in this small southern town just outside Nashville, well, I got older here there's still some question about a level of maturity. You know, despite having grown up here in an alcoholic household uh, that could on occasion be not only rageful and physically um, violent, I I, um, I didn't, and, and, and as many of us do, uh, began drinking use, uh, drinking early, stealing my father's alcohol It never really occurred to me that there would be, despite having seen the consequences of my father's alcoholism, an occasion on which, one, I would want to stop drinking, much less need to stop drinking, and certainly not be unable, that it was just impossible for me to stop. But after a long time drinking and some people call them outside issues. I call them drugs. That's part of my story too. My father was a physician uh, who ultimately lost a good job as a doctor because of his alcoholism, but from whom I stole drugs beginning early in my life. Despite having seen that behavior, I saw as many of us do, um, a resort to alcoholism as um, not a problem for me, but as the remedy. You know, it wasn't until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous with my uh, my ass on fire looking for a bucket to put it out in that y'all continue to gratefully provide that I began to be taught and and understand that alcohol isn't my enemy, which is what I persisted in believing it was my master. And that every time I tried to fight that fight, drinking against my will, I'd lose that fight. As we read in the 12 steps, as was read just today, um, in order to be able to deal with that overwhelming compulsion to consume, I had to find a power greater than myself with great, great gratitude y'all give me and continue to give me the liberty and the latitude, the freedom to choose my own conception of a, of a power greater than myself. And that for me, frankly, was a lifesaver. You know, I was 18 the first time I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. I went to the um, uh, uh, 202 group in Nashville that is still there. Um, and I know you can't tell it from my youthful appearance and, and childish behavior, but 18, for me, was way back in the last century. I did not get sober at the age of 18. Back then, here in the South, we didn't have a nudge from the judge. I didn't go because I was in trouble with the law, although I'd already been arrested. I got arrested the first time at the age of 12. I didn't go because my parents made me go. They'd been long divorced at that point by, from my, as a result of my dad's alcoholism. And my mom had some psychological issues too. I didn't go at the age of 18 because I had a spouse that made me go. I got a spouse later and my alcoholism and drug addiction contributed to the demise of that marriage uh, over 20 years ago. Um, I went at the age of 18 because I knew by that point in time that the consequences of my alcoholic behavior were overwhelming my life. But as many of us do, that ego-driven disease persisted in telling me that I could deal with this. I could handle this. I'm a strong man. I'm a smart man. I was pretty well educated at the age of 18, but I can handle this. Now, I had decades left of research and development refined my consumption into an art form, hell, a science. But by the age of 40, 40, I don't know, numbers are math to me, whatever 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, you know, I found myself, having during that interim period, those years, occasionally attended AA, but I found myself in the rooms again. Um, I have, excuse me, I think I'm gonna sneeze. I was able to get, uh, I'm sorry, I am gonna sneeze, maybe not. I was able to, um, really privileged, I say able, privileged to ask a man whom I'd heard in the meetings uh, if he would be my sponsor, uh, there in, um, the fall of 2000. And he came to see me in my office. He said, well, let me talk to you. And he came to see me in my office at the time. And he brought a copy of the big book with him. And he asked me among other things, he said, three, three questions. He said, do you want to stop drinking? I said, yeah, I do. Do you, do you, do you think you can do it on your own? And I said, uh, I said, no, I've tried and tried and tried and tried, and I can't. He said, well, do you wanna do um, what we're doing? You've been around the meeting some. And I said, yes, I do. I really, really do. And then he asked me this last question. He said, are you willing to do whatever it takes? And I'm I'm, I'm reasonably sure at the time, I was not at all confident to answer in the affirmative. They said, yes, oh sure, I can. Well, I I did answer that. And I said, yes, I am willing. Well, that man who is in this room now Uh, said he would agree to work with me. And he's been my sponsor this whole 20 plus years that y'all has made the difference in my life. I thought I'd speak for about 10 minutes before I started crying, but it may start earlier than 10 minutes. It was that personal interest in my recovery that another alcoholic took someone who had worked the 12 steps with a sponsor himself, uh, that, that changed my life, and he taught me and continues to teach me a lot, as do all of y'all in your own ways, as does our literature, that my consumption, the liquor that I drank was just a symptom, that I had to get down to the causes and conditions, we call them in the 12 and 12, character defects, I prefer to call them character flaws, I had to begin to get an understanding and an acknowledgement and an acceptance of those before I could begin to develop a relationship with a power greater than myself that would allow me to live without succumbing to the consumption, to to the compulsion to consume. You know, as it says in our 12 steps, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, you know, at the age of 18, when I first came, I'm not really sure what I thought, though in my household there at all, in my childhood household, I'd always seen a copy of the big book in the big bookshelf in the living room, never saw anybody read it um but i didn't know what i was expecting when i got here I, you know are y'all going to turn me into a gifted public speaker a better dancer have a faster car slicker clothes was my girlfriend going to be more i didn't know and it took me a long time to understand because of my own ego driven self absorption and fear that the point and the purpose of alcoholics anonymous on a daily basis is a spiritual awakening and in order to accomplish that on a daily basis. And I say accomplish as though it's something that I manifest. I don't. It's truly a gift, a gift of grace to me, um, that there were certain things that I had to do. You call them suggestions, but it's kind of like, and you've heard this, we suggest you pull the ripcord on the parachute after you jump out of the airplane. That's kind of how I saw these suggestions, right? My ass was on fire and I was looking, for a bucket to put it out in. What do we mean when we say causes and conditions? There are a couple of things, and and I, I got some. Uh, in fact, from uh, really from across the country, I shared this, the uh, the flyer for today's meeting with some folks, and they said it looks like you're being flushed down a toilet. And I said, well, you know, the point of that is that there are things, as it says on page 64, and these are the causes and conditions which had been blocking us. And we talk about being blocked from the sunlight of the spirit, being blocked from that relationship with a strength, with a power greater than ourselves. So that's it. And how do we clean that drain pipe? How do we get those causes and conditions out of the way? Well, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit, I hope um page let me see i lost my place here page 79 in the 12 and 12 in step 8 and step 8 of course is talking about making a list of all persons we had harmed how many of us this is a rhetorical question have done this work and received reward, been able to live for a period of time without succumbing to that compulsion, and realized, well, hell, I didn't put myself on my eight-step list. I didn't make an amends to myself. Took me a long time to get here, and it took me a long time to understand this paragraph on page 79 in the 12 and 12 over to page 80. And I'm gonna read this. We should nevertheless make an accurate and really exhaustive survey of our past life as it has affected other people. That's generally how we understand step eight, isn't it? And we take that step eight list from our step four um, personal inventory. In many instances, we shall find that though the harm done others has not been great, The emotional harm we have done ourselves has very deep, sometimes quite forgotten, damaging emotional conflicts persist below the level of consciousness. At the time of these occurrences, they may actually have given our emotions violent twists which have since discolored our personalities and altered our lives for the worse. Behavior in which I engaged, which altered my personality for the worse, that continues to exist below my subconscious such that I am not aware of it. It goes on to say since defective relations with other human beings have nearly always been the immediate cause of our woes, since defective relations with other human beings have nearly always been the immediate cause of our woes, including our alcoholism. No field of investigation could yield more satisfying and valuable rewards than this. It took me a long time to get to this place to recognize and begin to understand and accept and incorporate this unacceptance into my recovery work that there are personality flaws, character defects, the consequence the consequences that are the consequences of my interactions with other people that may in fact have been the cause of my alcoholism, the causes and conditions to which I refer. As it says on step four in the 12 and 12 on page 53, the primary fact that we fail to recognize is our almost total inability to form a true partnership with another human being that's page 53 and step four. And when we're taking that personal inventory, the primary fact that we fail to recognize is our almost total inability to form a true partnership with another human being. You let that sink in. That is very, very challenging to accept for me. We're social animals. We are designed to engage with other people, to have meaningful and rewarding and honest and and mutually beneficial relationships. It is, however, those causes and conditions, those personality flaws, if you will, that preclude that human interaction, that that successful human interaction. I had a lot of human interaction, but man, as it says in the the big book, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-absorbed, self-righteous, Uh, Self-conscious. I call it being, you know, less than ism. And how does that manifest? We talk in step four, again, in the 12 and 12, recognizing, of course, when the big book was written and by whom, the syntax, the grammar, the theology, prominent and prevalent among those that group of people in that society at that time. And 15 years later, the publication, the writing and the publication of the 12 and 12, not far distant. There's a reason it's written like it is, but on page 48, when we refer to the character flaws, and this is in the 12 and 12, we refer to those character defects, a universally recognized list of human failings the seven deadly sins of pride, greed, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth. We go over to the following. Now we could spend hours talking about each of those. There's a bit of a theological definition and association with these that doesn't necessarily resonate with me, that doesn't invalidate them because they represent generally recognized personality challenges that interrupt and interfere with our ability to deal with other people. And if you buy into this program, and as I say, there are probably a lot of ways to get sober. This is the only one that works for me. If you buy into this program, it's incumbent upon me to understand and recognize those causes and conditions that that preclude my interactions with others, That cause my alcoholism. We go over to page 49, In that first full paragraph, again, in the 12 and 12, all these failings generate fear. Now, what are the failings to which Bill Wilson is referring in this paragraph? Well, it's the seven deadly sins. Pride, greed, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, sloth. Y'all, it's 3.30 Central Time in Tennessee today, a Saturday afternoon. I've been at this consecutively and consistently for 20 years as, uh, I don't know, eight months, nine months without a drink, And I'd be embarrassed to, to acknowledge to you how many of those seven deadly sins I've engaged in, in this day alone. It's, if, if, if that's, if my behavior, if my experience is not representative of the persistence um, of this disease, I don't know what is. So if we go back to page 49 paragraph, uh, uh, the first full paragraph, all these failings generate fear, a soul sickness in its own right. Then fear in turn generates more character defects. This long exposition of how this manifests, in my life, these causes and conditions, and y'all, well without a drink, years from a drink, I still find myself succumbing to this unhealthy, unhelpful, detrimental behavior. Unreasonable fear that our instincts will not be satisfied drives us to covet the possessions of others. To lust for sex and power, to become angry when our instinctive demands are threatened, to be envious when the ambitions of others seem to be realized while ours are not. We eat, drink, and grab for more of everything than we need, fearing we shall never have enough. You know, we say sometimes with people who are dual or, or triple or quadruple. Well, well, John Mack, what's your drug of choice? More. Just more, whether it's drink, whether it's drugs, whether it's food, whether it's money, whether it's more. And with genuine alarm at the prospect of work, we stay lazy, we loaf and procrastinate, or at best work grudgingly under half steam. These fears are the termites that cease, ceaselessly devour the foundations of whatever sort of life we're trying to build. Now, again, that's written in a syntax and a grammar, uh, a structure that is a little foreign to us in the second decade of the 21st century, but the meaning, the intent, it's very powerful. And for me, it's very, very descriptive. It's those causes and conditions that prompted that consumptive behavior. I, as a kid, 10 11 years old would steal my dad's beer and you know he would um, he'd come in from the hospital late at night he'd have a 12 pack of tall boys Budweisers he'd stand in the kitchen corner leaning up against the sink which was built into a corner and he'd smoke cigarettes endlessly and drink he'd, he wouldn't even bother put the beer in the refrigerator he put that 12 pack of tall boys, that 10, six pack on the counter beside him. And he just, I'd be in the corner in the dark watching him. Five years old, six years old, eight years old. And by 10, I was stealing that stuff from him. By 12, I'd get into his medical bag long before the years of the Drug Enforcement Administration and um, the regulation of the distribution of narcotics by physicians. I'd get into his medical bag at 12 and 13, 14 I'd steal syringes and narcotics from him, Um, despite seeing the deterioration in my family's relationship because of his behavior. You know, not all that long after that, he was fired from a job as a physician. Um, That was embarrassing. You know, from the outside looking in, my parents were well respected. They came from prominent and successful families. But from the inside looking out, you know, what was represented, what was modeled for me as love was my father's adoration of his addiction. He sacrificed everything in order to be drunk. He loved his alcohol more than a- anything. I wouldn't know when he came in if I'd be hugged or hit. My mom ultimately was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And as the years went on, I understood really what that what that meant for her. And what a challenge and a struggle it was but for her psychologically the way in which she treated me it was it was i love you now get away from me you know so it was those emotional that that absence of emotion that absence of of interaction uh, reasonably nurturingly successfully lovingly from the people that we that that i had even as a small 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 person Thought would be the, the the protection, you know, the security, uh, which caused a deep and persistent anxiety, fear, depression. It was reasonable and natural for me to resort to, um, you know, as we often do, as many 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 of us have experienced, um, medicating uh, those those feelings. My dad ended up, uh, I I. Well, a little more biography. I mean, even the small Southern town with the trouble that I was getting into, I was able to dodge a lot of consequences. Um, And I was luckily kind of of did well in school and started playing music really early in my life. Um, And I had a nice career in Nashville uh, as a professional musician, but I was consuming. You know, I was drinking and I was drugging and I was on the road and I was drinking and I was drugging and I was on the road. Um, I got married in the early 80s, um, and I was not a good husband. Um, at, the, uh, at the age of 30, I came off the road, and I went to law school. Um, it was one of those geographicals, but for me, it was really drastic. I cut my hair, and I went to school in a conservative law school in Nashville, um, and I was drinking, and I was drugging. My dad shot himself that year. He was so chemical, he was unable to successfully commit suicide. They life-flighted him to the Vanderbilt Hospital. I lived just down the street from there. He was in DTs, uh, just bleeding profusely. They put him on a in five-point restraints, you know, on a steel table in a lockdown psych ward. And the five-point restraints, you know, that's your wrists and your ankles and your head so you don't smash your head against the steel table. And I looked at him. They'd locked me in the room with him to visit. And it took me a few visits to figure out that it was so... I I couldn't be persuaded to let him out against medical advice. Um, And he begged me, please, John Mack, please, please, please let me out. I'll never drink again. I'll never drink again. I swear to God, I'll never drink again. And of course, my life had been fraught with the consequences of his alcoholic behavior, as my years later, as my family's (laughs) life had been. But you know, y'all, I looked at him and I'd go, shit, I drink too much and I do too many drugs. I just don't want to do as many as killed Elvis. But I'm not that drunk son of a bitch right there, which, of course, was not true. Sometime shortly thereafter, I drove my dad to a rehab facility in Atlanta. That would have been February of 1985. uh, And he got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I have I am going to start crying now. I have literature that. that he passed along to me when I finally got in the rooms to stay. Uh, At one point in time, the sponsor that I have had his first sponsor for a while. My dad's first sponsor was a dear, dear friend of mine. He just passed a few months ago. My dad died in 2012. um, So we got to spend some time together sharing the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, So he was sober for, for quite a while before I got in, but he was waiting when I got here. Alcoholics Anonymous gave me a father. Um, And perhaps more importantly, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous gave my father a son. I was with him the night that he died. I was on the phone with my sponsor the night that he died. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous is a big, big deal to me. Um, Those causes and conditions about which I was complaining because I complain a lot. Pass the cheese, please, because I have a bunch of wine going on over here. Why is that? Because those causes and conditions are cunning, they're baffling, they're powerful. You know, at some point, at some point, when do I stop watching that movie? When do I go, yeah, Papa was a drunk and beat me and Mama was crazy as a shithouse rat. Quit picking that scab, John Mack. When am I going to do that? That's kind of a rhetorical question. I'm sure we could get Claire to unmute everyone and y'all would have great opinions and that would be very helpful. And perhaps that would be the best thing to do. I often say, and it's a reflection of my insecurity and the persistent fear of alcoholism. The longer I do this work, and I do it falteringly and failingly and half acidly, but the longer I do it, sometimes the harder it gets because I am at the core, I get closer to the core of those character defects, those character flaws, those causes and conditions which prompted that consumptive behavior in the first place. What if I can't live without the fear? What if I don't know how to navigate without the chaos? You know that that model of love which i incorporated that that to the to the to the to, to the to the divorce the detriment the disposal of everyone else i'm going to consume generated for me what i misperceived as apprehension and um, uh, anticipation butterflies in my stomach it was years, y'all, years before I understood that that was not that. It was fear. It's just straight up fear. Now, that as a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, that, uh, that learned ability, perhaps self-taught defense mechanisms to be the people pleaser, to dodge, is he going to hit me? Is he going to hug me? Is, God, is mama gonna love me, or is mama gonna throw me out and lock the door? To be able to be all things to all people, that was great as an eight-year-old. I survived. But you know, as a post-middle-aged man in recovery, those aren't particularly helpful behaviors. It's that persistent manifestation of those causes and conditions. I have no idea where I am in time, so uh, let's talk about, thank you, Bob. Um, let's talk about, am I am I done with time, Claire? Do I have a few more minutes? Sorry, I can't hear you. Still can't. Okay. You're great, great to go. Keep going. Is that another okay. 10 minutes? Five, 10 okay, minutes. Yeah, that'd be great. So um, I, it, it did take me, and I appreciate y'all's patience. It did take me a while to understand that, just stopping drinking? No, and we, we hear this all the time. I mean, it's not a fault of AA. It's my own stubbornness. It's the own, my own persistent fear that it's getting so, so, so much more out of the program. And how do I do that? The same way I got through that very first day without a drink. The same day I got through that second day, that second month, that second year. How do I do this? I asked my sponsor. Well, we have what we call directions. Where's that? Well, that's in the chapter how it works. Oh, remarkable. How elementary is that? So 86, 87, and 88, it was, was, again, suggested like you pull the ripcord to do that every day and every night. Before we retire at night, we review our day. Well, what if I'm too tired when I go to bed? Well, do it at the end of your workday. You don't have to wait till right before you turn out your light. Upon awakening, we consider our plans for the day before we begin. Before we begin what? Before we begin our plans for the day. Before I do anything. I was taught a, a really great prayer that at first blush seems a little sarcastic by a dear friend of mine in Detroit. He says, and I say this, I try and say this every morning, before I get out of bed. God, come into my head before I get there. Why is that important to me? Because left to my own devices, y'all, I'm skating fast and haphazardly and dangerously. So y'all taught me those directions and continue to teach me those directions. Step 11 has been for, and I'll share this, within... My, t- my share with you today, six weeks ago, probably would have been markedly different. At the end of April, I had some neurological problems that manifested in a couple of cerebrovascular accidents, strokes, a series of transient ischemic accidents, many strokes. I lost the ability to speak periodically. I was stuttering badly and stammering, confused. I ended up in the hospital for a couple of days. I'm on some medicine now. There are, there, were, there are people in my life that go, oh, John Mack can't talk. What a relief. But that existential crisis was very frightening for a fear-based alcoholic driven by ego. So it, um, even before that, it was very, very important to me, but it has become exceedingly so these days. Page 98, we read this all the time. Again, step 11, in the 12 and 12, there is a direct linkage among self-examination, meditation, and prayer. Self-examination, I have to take an unvarnished look at myself. That requires honesty, doesn't it? That requires that step 10 behavior. And I don't like to look at myself. That that forces me to look at the things that I have done wrong, the deceit, the deception, the manipulation, the selfishness, the self-centeredness. All of those things that are causes and conditions. Taken separately, self-examination, meditation, and prayer, these practices can bring much relief and benefit. Shit, I'm all about that. It's all about John Mack all the time. What do I want? I want relief. I got here with my ass on fire, looking for a bucket to put it out in. I wanted relief. This promises me, this step 11 promise, promises me that if I do this work, that's available to me. When they are logically related and interwoven, the result is an unshakable foundation for life. That is a beautiful affirmation and opportunity. What do I want? I want, I want a need to live safely, comfortably in my own skin, to not be afraid of myself, to not be afraid of y'all. Why? Because to have that spiritual awakening, That's what step 12 says that I'm going to get if I do what y'all tell me to do. I am going to learn to love God as I understand God, my neighbor as myself. That sounds theological, and I don't intend for it to. And I'm going to be healthy, and I'm going to be happy, and I'm going to be helpful. That spiritual awakening, as it says on page 93, man, it took a million lessons to learn this. Faith that reliance on a power greater than myself, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. That's doing for y'all before I do for me. And, and if I'm in service, I can't be in self. They don't. It just doesn't work that way. I can't be thinking about helping you and selfishly at the same time doing for me that is addressing those causes and conditions. That's helping me to feel better about myself. And isn't that what recovery is all about, right? That health, that happiness, that helpfulness. And the best part of all of this is, as it says on 164 in the big book, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. Y'all are not going to restrict me to just this. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us, asking in your morning meditation what you can do for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. That's what the book says. And then you tell me at the last of those 164 pages, abandon yourself to God as you understand God, admit your faults to him and to your fellows, clear away the wreckage of your past, give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. Hell, y'all, that's a home run, isn't it? That's just the best, a day at a time. I'm really grateful that y'all persisted in this. You're patient with me. And uh, yeah, it's really good to see y'all. I'll still myself, and thanks. Thanks again, Pax, for asking.